What did you expect last Tuesday night? You know, the pundits were wrong and the world was shocked when Donald J. Trump won the election. It's not what we were led to expect. Sometimes our expectations prove to be right and sometimes they don't. Furthermore, sometimes our expectations are what they should be, and sometimes they aren't. That's not only true in politics, it's true in all of life, and most importantly, it's true in matters of faith. As a Christian, what are your expectations? When facing struggles in life, and you're praying, and others are praying for you, and the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, what do you expect? Do you expect your problems to go away? Do you expect to be delivered from whatever it is that you wish to be rid of? You know, some have indeed been delivered from personal struggles, sinful habits, and addictions. But what about those who pray and have others pray for them and don't get delivered? What's wrong with them? Some would have us believe that there's a problem with their faith. And of course... There are faith teachers today who say they have the answer to unanswered prayer. It's found in their faith theology. In a book I've had for 20-some years, a book entitled Christianity in Crisis, Hank Hangraff has written, In faith theology, faith is a force. It is the stuff out of which the universe is made and is the force which makes the laws of the spirit world function. So how do you get the laws of the spirit world to function for you? According to the faith teachers, it is through the use of formulas. Not only do these formulas of faith cause the laws of the spirit world to function, but they also cause the Holy Spirit to function for you. God is demoted to the status of a mere mere bellhop who blindly responds to the beck and call of formulas uttered by the faithful. Faith formulas are the name of the game. This is why the faith movement has also been called the positive confession movement. Faith doctrine teaches that confessions unlock the formula of faith and activate spiritual law. This is precisely why faith theology is referred to as name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. (laughs) He goes on to write about uh, Kenneth Hagin, the man who has passed but who was referred to as the father or granddaddy of the Word of Faith movement. The founder of Rima Bible Training College that has sent out over 
40,000 faith teachers and preachers. And the man whose sermons were memorized and preached by Kenneth Copeland as he began the ministry that has turned him into the self-proclaimed billionaire that we mentioned last week. He goes on to write, Hagen elaborates on this theme in a book, booklet titled, How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. The name itself should shock you. Here Hagen claims that Jesus Christ himself appeared to him and personally gave him the formula for faith. In the opening chapter titled, Jesus Appears to Me, Hagen claims that while he was in the Spirit, just like the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, a white cloud enveloped him and he began to speak in tongues. Then the Lord Jesus himself appeared to him, says Hagen. He stood within three feet of me. After what sounded like a casual conversation about such things as finances, ministry, and even current affairs, Jesus told Hagen to get a pencil and a piece of paper. He then instructed him to write down one, two, three, four. Jesus then allegedly told Hagen that if anybody anywhere will take these four steps or put these four principles into operation, he will always receive whatever he wants from me or from God the Father. That includes whatever you want financially. The formula is simply say it, do it, receive it, and tell it. And then he goes on and explains the four steps. The bottom line is that some teach that if you have the right kind of faith and pray the right kind of prayers and do the right things, you should be able to get whatever you want. Now, if that were true, then it would seem that Paul's expectations from prison would have been very high. And in fact, Paul does mention deliverance and exultation as his earnest expectation and hope. But it's probably not the same kind of deliverance and exultation a faith teacher might expect to find. Let's, let's look together and see just what Paul's expectations were from prison. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything. But with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul expected his deliverance. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. People were praying for Paul. Great numbers, no doubt, were praying for Paul, and most were praying for his release. 
And Paul was confident that through the prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus, he would be delivered. Their prayers and the provision of the Spirit, man's activity and God's activity were coming together to guarantee results. Now, I've got to confess, I don't fully understand the relationship between prayer and the provision of the Spirit. Some would suggest that the Spirit can only be released when sufficient prayers are being offered. But I, I find it hard to believe that God's hands are ever tied. Prayer is indeed important. We are exhorted to pray, and Paul continually asked for the believers to pray for him. So we pray, and God acts. But God is still God. We are not writing our own ticket. We are seeking the Lord's will and submitting to his will when we pray. Frederick Casey Price, an African-American prosperity preacher who built the Faith Dome in 1989, which was at the time the largest church auditorium in America, founder of ever-increasing faith ministries, who refers to himself as the chief exponent of name it and claim it, teaches his followers not to pray, thy will be done saying they need to be more assertive in prayer. But Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done. And Paul often expressed his desire for God's will to be done. Now, I'm sure Paul would have loved to get out of prison. And he did say that he was confident that through the prayers of God's people and the provision of the Spirit, his imprisonment would turn out for his deliverance. Now, at first glance, it may appear that he's saying that he's confident he will be delivered from prison. And those who were praying for him were no doubt praying for such. But after expressing confidence in his deliverance, He goes on to speak of death as a very real possibility. So he was not expressing confidence that he would be delivered from prison. Only that things would turn out for his deliverance. The word translated deliverance can also be translated salvation. And it ultimately refers to a person's well-being. So what Paul is apparently expressing is confidence that through their prayers and the provision of the Spirit, his experience in prison would make him into a better person. He's expressing confidence in what he told us in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It was Paul's earnest expectation and hope that God would bring good out of his experience in prison. 
And that, as we've already seen, was happening. The entire Praetorian Guard was coming under the influence of this zealous evangelist to whom they were being chained in four-hour ships. And the unbelievers, they were being challenged by his faithfulness in prison to speak up wherever they were. Paul knew when I read somewhere, and I can't find out where I read it, great souls graduate from the school of conflict, never the school of convenience. Where there is no calamity, there is no courage. Where there is no hardship, there is no hardiness. Where there is no stress, there is no strength. Where there is no suffering, there is no sympathy. And where there is no cross, there is no crown. Paul was being delivered from mediocrity and an ineffective life. And his goal, his expectation was therefore exultation. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It was Paul's earnest expectation and hope that he not be put to shame in anything. And the shame he prayed to avoid would not come from being a prisoner or from being beaten or humiliated. It would come from failing to show boldness in his situation, from being silenced by fear. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul said, And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul didn't ask them to pray for his release, but to pray that he might make the most of his situation, that he might be a good ambassador for Christ even in chains. It wasn't his exaltation that he hoped for. It was that Christ be exalted in his body, that Christ be made great, that Christ be made conspicuous, that Christ be magnified. The word translated exalted can also be translated magnified. Now, some, some might wonder why Christ would need to be magnified. After all, he's the bright and morning star. The stars in all their glory seem so distant, so far away, until they are brought close with a telescope, until they're magnified. Paul wanted to be a lens through which Christ could be better seen. 
He wanted Christ to be magnified through his body. And he didn't care if it was by life or by death. His expectation wasn't that he be physically free or physically whole. He knew that Christ could be glorified even through his death. Apparently, Paul didn't believe it was necessary to be in perfect health to bring God glory. He didn't expect God to keep him free from pain or sickness or physical impairment. He would, no doubt, take issue with Frederick Price, who wrote, How can you glorify God in your body when it doesn't function right? How can you glorify God? How can he get glory when your body doesn't even work? What makes you think the Holy Ghost wants to live inside a body where he can't see out through the windows and he can't hear with ears? What makes you think the Holy Spirit wants to live inside of a physical body where the limbs and organs and cells do not function right? And what makes you think he wants to live in a temple where he can't see out of the eyes and he can't walk with the feet and he can't move with the hand? The only eyes that he has that are in the earth realm are the eyes that are in the body. If he can't see out of them, then God's going to be limited. Paul was confident he could glorify God through a body, his body, even in death. He could face life or death with complete confidence without bringing shame to Christ. Because, as he said in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's life was completely wrapped up in Jesus. The kids used to sing a song about that. Wrapped up, tied up. How'd that go? Something in Jesus. And what? Tangled up. Yeah, I forgot the tangled part. Well, Paul, Paul's life was completely wrapped up, tangled up, tied up in Jesus. Everything he did related to Christ. Christ was the one who gave him life the one who empowered him in life, the one who gave his life meaning. To live was to experience Christ at work in his body. And to die was gain. The word for gain was often used to refer to the gain or profit from an investment in death. Paul would cash in his investment. He would receive in full that for which he had been working all his life. So Paul could face life or death or anything in between in a way that would exalt Christ. He knew that through the prayers of his friends, the provision of the Spirit, and his own commitment to Christ, he could find deliverance from a meaningless life. And he could bring exultation to his Lord and Savior. Those were Paul's expectations. 
And they should be ours as well. And they can be. They can be. If we will recognize that the goal of life is to exalt Christ, and we will acknowledge that without Him, we can do nothing. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in the Son of God. And we don't want our will to be done on earth. We want His will to be done. Our only expectation and hope is that in life and in death, we be delivered and Christ be exalted. For without Him, we can do nothing. And without Him, our life amounts to nothing.